0: Good evening. So I'd like to give a talk this evening that gives a little context to the question that might be buzzing around in your head, which is, what am I doing here? (laughs) Why did I sign up for this? This is much harder than I thought it was going to be. It looked really nice on the brochure, people meditating, floating around on clouds and... And here I am with my stuck with myself and my busy mind and restless body, and had plans to escape a few times, and you know, all the ways that we may, may have not wanted to be here. I was thinking about this cartoon. There's, there's a row of Zen monks sitting in a in a zendo meditation hall, and everyone's deep in meditation except one guy's on his phone. He's saying, "What the hell am I doing here?" <laughs> So, it's um, a good question, what are we doing here? Why do we do this seemingly quite difficult practice? Anybody find today a complete breeze from start to finish? No, just checking, you know. You were cooked for, it was beautiful, nice people, nice weather, nice land, and then we brought ourselves along or our personality, or our mind. It's from Yogi Berra. Unless you change direction, you will carry on in the same direction. So what we're looking at here as we come on retreat is the direction that we've been swimming in, in our lives. What you saw today is really who, what you are and practice in your life day by day. No different. You're just seeing it a little more um, clearly, perhaps. The thinking mind, the restlessness, the comparing, the judging, the whatever else has been going on. This is uh, another cartoon. So there's a guy sitting in meditation and the six captions, the first captions says, and he's, he's sitting like a really good professional meditator. What my friends think I do. What my parents think I do. What society thinks I do. What my yoga teacher thinks I do. What I think I do. What I actually do. <laughs> when is this going to be over? When is this bell going to be rung? Anybody craving for this thing to be rung today? Like, like Nirvana was in the bell. <laughs> if only they just would ring the bell. What's so hard about sitting here doing nothing? Anybody today find ch- find today challenging? All no, right, most of you okay good to know just making sure I'm talking to the right audience. another cartoon this is an easy rider on his motorbike today thought bubble Christ, how much further is it to the next rest stop? That joke might be lost on some of you, but anyhow. (laughs) So here we are in relative paradise from a certain perspective. You know, beauty, ease, relatively safe. And yet, and yet. I once went to a teaching from an Indian guru who was in town, quite renowned in southern India, and gathered together some spiritual luminaries, and he said, he asked of the group, about 50 people in the room, he said, quite well-known teachers, and he said, um, how many people have had unbroken peace the last 24 hours? And nobody raised their hand, and he said, what's up with that? We well, didn't say that, I said that, actually. <laughs> and we could ask the same of ourselves. What is it that's interrupting a sense of well-being and relaxation in this lovely abode called Spirit Rock, San Geronimo Valley? What is interfering? You might say, well, the schedule's getting in the way for a start, <laughs> and not having my cell phone is another reason, um, but as we look closely, we see our own mind and heart and body, and uh, the way the, this retreat and meditation is a microcosm of life. People often say, well, when I go back to the real world, (laughs) this is the real world. What other world is it? It's a slightly modified world, but it's the real world. So how do I show up? How do I relate to this experience called life, called sleepiness and dullness and restlessness and joy and boredom and comparing mind, and feeling like I don't fit in, and sadness, and all kinds of things that people were reporting in the groups today. This is from Archbishop Fenelon. He's, making, he's talking about light, which is a really as a metaphor for awareness, meditation, mindfulness. He says, as the light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our hearts a whole swarm of shameful feelings. We never could have believed that we'd harbored such things and we stand aghast as we watch them appear. We must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. While our faults diminish, the light by which we see them becomes brighter brighter. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. We only perceive the malady when the cure begins. So I was talking to someone today in the group, actually it wasn't, I was talking to a student yesterday um, uh, who's struggling uh, with some very difficult life-threatening conditions. and, and the fear and the panic that comes up with those conditions. And, um, and she's, she's, she's a kind of person who's always been very together, very competent, very, uh, a lot of capacity, and suddenly this life-threatening illness has really thrown her life in turmoil and her identity as this capable person into turmoil. And so she's feeling tremendous fear and, and I asked her, is it possible to bring awareness and a kind presence to that fear? You know, what impact does your mindfulness practice have on being able to hold the fear? When there's awareness of the fear, she's not as gripped in the fear and there's space. There's a little bit of possibility of movement, of navigating it. And so this is partly what we're doing here is we're cultivating space through awareness, through presence, through kindness, that allows us to meet and be with this this ride that we're on called life. So partly what I want to speak tonight about is how we integrate kindness and mindfulness. Because for me, t- the two really the same thing that we're cultivating a kind attention, a warm hearted presence, a compassionate awareness. And they share a lot of the same qualities, these two facets of awareness or presence. That when we meet our experience fully, totally, there's there's heartfulness within it that allows us a certain capacity to be with it, to feel it, to open to it. My favorite lines in the tradition is from the sixth Zen patriarch from China, who said, "Do not believe, do not say that awareness and kindness are separate." One cannot arise without the other. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. So I take this as a bit of a lifelong koan. A koan is one of those uh, Zen questions, riddles that one reflects on for a long time. What does that mean? Awareness is the foundation of kindness. How could this paying attention to our breath and body today, how is that the foundation of kindness? And how does kindness express itself, move out of that awareness? Maybe some of you have glimpsed a little bit today with whatever you've been going through, especially when this stuff's not been easy, that to bring that careful attention to it, to, and to, to allow it, to accept it, to know it, to feel it, to be with it, to understand it, that is an expression of kindness because that very movement of attention, of awareness to be with and to understand all the difficult things that we have to l- a, you know, experience in this life, to meet that with that kind of presence is the very attitude that will bring clarity and understanding and a, and a lessening of suffering. Right? So your, your, all of your practice today is an expression of kindness for yourself. And if that doesn't feel like that right now i i my my wish for you is you live your way into that into this into this understanding mm-hmm. try being with something in nature that you uh that you that you appreciate you know maybe you've seen some of the deers in the woods or the the wacky turkeys and the you know, beautiful hawks flying by. Right? When we bring that moment of awareness fully present, right, what often also gets elicited is this tenderness, this love, this warmth, this care. It's the basis of my nature work. My, someone was asking about my nature work. The basis of my nature work is in this phrase, we protect what we love. When you fully are present to something, especially the natural world, at some point, the heart opens. You start falling in love with the tree, with the grasses, with the salmon, with whatever it is, ecosystem you're in. And with that, we become better stewards of the land because we love, it. There's, a, there's a visceral connection. So the the invitation I have for you as you go about your day here, sitting and walking and standing in yoga and lying down, is what attitude are you bringing to each moment or each experience or the body or the heart or the feeling? What's the quality that you are attending to your experience? Are you present in the meditation just to get through it, just to get to that bell? Are you, you know, is there a sense of force or pressure or striving or struggle or demand or impatience? Which is all very natural. the, the, The question I think we're all asked in this life and particularly through this practice is how do I meet this? How do I show up for this? Whether it's chronic back pain, which what I have right now, I have back spasms. Or whether it's a broken heart because your beloved just walked out. Or you have a parent or grandparent who's sick and ailing. Or you're in midlife crisis and you have no idea what you're doing with your life and you're only 26. Um, Or 73 or whatever. how do we meet this? So this practice is a training, it's a radical training in, in, in a very multifaceted way that we show up to life, to ourselves, to each other, to the pain of the world, the beauty in the world. And as you've seen in this day, it's, What we're asking is simple, but not easy. We're asking you to simply be present, to bear witness, to open to, to attend to, to welcome what's here. The pain in your shoulders, the sleepy afternoon meditation, the tofu that you might not like. Tofu, so that's how you say it in this country. Right? And these are all, as I said, the, they're all metaphors and microcosms of how we are in the world. And so these teachings illuminate uh, ways that we are and live and respond and we get to see, is the way that I orient to life and to experience, is it conducive of well-being and understanding and freedom or does it actually create more contraction, fear, separation, judgment and all that? What, what you what have you seen today that you're layering on to experience that actually makes it much harder than it already is? The Buddha called this a second arrow. You know, we're sitting in meditation and it's hard enough and maybe you open your eyes because you're tired and everybody's sitting there looking like the Buddha incarnate. And rather than just struggling with the sleepiness, you are now beating yourself up for being sleepy and everybody else is close to enlightenment except you. Everyone's got this nailed down except you. And we add these layers, all kinds of different layers of unnecessary suffering. So what we're asking you to do is actually very Challenging and very courageous. We're asking you to turn towards experience, particularly that which is not easy to bear. And the, the definition for the Buddha of the, what he encountered as the first truth or the first mm, reality of life is that many things in life are difficult to bear. And that was the definition of of suffering, difficult to bear, hard to be with, hard to hold. And I know every one of you has many things that are difficult to bear. You also have many beautiful things in your life and blessings and joys and successes and accomplishments and love and friendship and all of that. And we all carry burdens. From the past and the present. And it takes a lot of courage to come to a retreat like this and actually sit in the middle of it. And partly what we see when we come to a place like this is we see all the habits that we've created to try and escape from being, sitting in the middle of it. Like spending our time up here in a coconut. How much time have you spent thinking today? A lot, probably. Most of the day. Think that's any different than any other day? (laughs) No, it's not actually. You know, we think tens of thousands of thoughts a day. Most of them f- repeats from yesterday. Like watching a bad, you know, soap opera starring yours truly. So, this is a poem that I wrote some years ago about this, what I call the turn. Right? You know, we go through life doing what we do and. Um, uh, trying to you know, accumulate as much joy and pleasure and, and, and uh, diminish uh, as much unpleasantness and pain as we can, it's just a normal human life. And at some point, we realize that strategy t- doesn't really work. It's, it's impossible to, to achieve. And we start to look at what's really going on on, on a deeper level. We kind of scratch beneath the surface. And so the poem goes like this. Your only duty is not to run from here, even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day exposed. You can pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's nev- that never works, making the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there's no choice but to surrender, to turn towards the empty places within you've spent a lifetime running from, embracing them with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary trees, without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fall into the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has been waiting, that is always right here. So I want to bow to your practice today that you uh, are still here. (laughs) This is a great accomplishment, right? Some people don't make it this far. Like, I'm out of here, this is too much, this is not what I signed up for. I don't have to sit with myself and my crazy mind for 24 hours. Thank you very much. I'd rather go home and watch TV. Catch up on my series of Outlanders or whatever you're into. So turning towards what is. We live in a culture that tells us, you don't have to do that. You can create what you want. You can get what you want. You can buy your way out of suffering. You can distract your way out of having to deal with reality. Right? With this sort of, we'll look back at this time in human history and go, wow, they were masters of distraction of, a, of a just it's an incredible creativity into how we can entertain and amuse ourselves while the planet decays and dies. Such a bizarre world we live in. So this is a, a piece that I, I really appreciate from a uh, friend, Jan Chosen Bays. And uh, again, I'm I'm speaking to this attitude of how we turn to what's here. She says, in this passing moment, all things come to be, and I vow to choose what is. This is a a Zen practice of vows. I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sadness, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it is my death, I choose to die. Where it takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. Being with what is, I respond to what is. So I invite this attitude, this tomorrow, tonight, as you're sitting, when something shows up, whatever it is, and one of the amazing things about life and meditation is you never know what's gonna show show up. You may have had a completely serene meditation before lunch, and so you're excited about getting to the meditation after lunch, and it's a complete wipeout. You barely be present, you're sleepy, you're all over the place, you never know. Or some great revelation comes, or some great vision comes, or some great terror comes. Can we have the attitude of showing up for what's here? You know, in that poem, Rumi, the Rumi poem, The Guest House, which some of you, I'm sure, have heard. You know, Welcome, entertain them all, these visitors. The joy, the meanness, the sorrow, the unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Treat each guest honorably and not to judge yourselves, but just to, just to be curious, well, how much of my experience do I, do I actually welcome? And how much do I reject, or judge, or dismiss? Right? So, for instance, like you know, maybe you wake up in the morning, you feel a little depressed. Or maybe you come in here, and everyone looks really shiny and together, and you feel really deficient or you're carrying some sadness from a recent loss, or you're having a lot of physical pain, which I know some of you are, chronic pain. How do you choose that? How do you welcome that? And the Rumi says, greet them at the door laughing and welcome them in. How do you, le- how do you bring that laughing spirit to your neck pain? <laughs> That's, not a, that's an easy thing to say in a poem and a hard thing to do in reality. But we have that capacity. We have that capacity to choose and to welcome what's here. That, that phrase, um, equation, suffering equals pain times resistance. Suffering equals pain times resistance. So there's experience, there's life, there's the joys and the sorrows. Depending on how much we fight and resist and reject and all of that determines how much we suffer around that particular experience. You know, it's been really interesting having back spasms these last few weeks. That's a joy to welcome in and laugh at. Um, And it's really obvious the difference between pain and when I'm suffering about it. If I bring in the future, like I'm about to travel a lot of uh, long distance traveling and I think about my back spasm on the plane, (laughs) that's a suffering thought. (laughs) If I'm just present to the sensations now of numbness, tingling, and whatever, inflammation, burning. It's okay, you know, it's not pleasant, but it's okay. It's just what is. Changes, gets better, gets worse. If I think it should be different, if I think I've done something wrong, if I'm blaming myself, if I'm imagining this is going to be like this forever, How many times have you sat down in meditation and you have a a difficult emotion, maybe sadness comes or a busy mind and and then the thought comes, oh, it's gonna be like this for the rest of the retreat. I'm just gonna be really moping around. And then you hear some birdsong or the frogs chirping and suddenly you're out of that and it's all delightful. And what happened to that interminable sadness? It disappeared, everything is coming and going. So today we've been inviting you to, to bring awareness into the body, to embody yourself, to inhabit your, ex- your, physical, your physical experience. Sounds like a nice idea, right? Until you start feeling your body, with its aches and its pains and its tiredness and whatnot. Not so easy. Talked to a friend of mine who's who's aging. Well we're, we're all aging, that's the silly thought. Um, but aging, you know, on the mature end of the spectrum. And I said, How are you doing? She says, I'm okay. I said, How's your body? She says, Well, I'm just waiting for the next problem. <laughs> and it gets like that, it speeds up, you know, the, the gaps between challenges. A dear friend of mine struggling with Parkinson's. Well, actually, I wouldn't say struggling. He has Parkinson's, but has this inc- tremendous, tremendous fierceness to face it, and beautiful in his courage to really be open to that experience, you know, which looks really challenging from the outside. But he holds it with this steadfastness. It's beautiful. I think that comes from his practice, from not running away. And someone asked in the group, I think, today, why? why do you want to sit with pain? <laughs> why not just do something more fun? You know, watch TV, go for a walk, whatever. Well, because sometimes we don't have an option to do something else. Sometimes it doesn't go away. Sometimes we can't drown it out. So we're learning this great life lesson of how to be in the, f- in the fire of things when we can't avoid it or escape it or drown it out with something. This is a beautiful gift you're giving to yourself to learn this muscle, as it were, this tool, these skills. So one of the things that's interesting to reflect on, as we, as we develop mindful awareness and we refine our attention, we get to understand more in more subtlety what's going on, why we, why, we have, why we have such a lot of reactivity to things, particularly the things we don't like. Anybody know, have any experiences today they didn't like? didn't want one or two of you, I think. Right? So what's going on when that's when that's happening? Why do we get so caught up in reactivity? There you know many different s- explanations for that. But and I'm just I'm gonna present the Buddhist explanation. One of the reasons is because underneath all of those difficult experiences is the experience of unpleasantness. We're we're pleasure-seeking beings. Every organism seeks pleasure, warmth, safety, food, and recoils from threat and unpleasant. So when you're sitting today, walking today, hanging out with yourself or with each other, and something and you're having some reactivity, the invitation is to to look a little deeper into the experience. Every experience and every moment we're we're, we're noticing is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. When it's unpleasant, we have, if we haven't trained ourselves, we have limited capacity to hang out with something. How many people were here during the heat wave last week? It was like 105 degrees. Anybody, Are you local? local, most of you not local. You're local, some of you. That was fun, especially if you didn't have AC. 105, 110 degrees. Um, where I live, the town I live in, is, is a very steady 62 degrees mostly, and it's great. So we weren't very fond of the heat wave. Okay. But all, it's, all it is, it's, it's heat and it's unpleasant sensation. Sweatiness, stickiness, smugginess, whatever. Not a problem in itself, unless we're not so comfortable hanging out with the unpleasant, and then we start complaining and moaning and reacting and judging. And I should have bought the air conditioner last year. So invite you, as 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 things may not be so easy, time to time in this in this time here. What's it like just to hang out with unpleasantness? To feel that to notice it's just a changing phenomena changing sensation another poem for you again this is a beautiful expression of this I- this this idea of turning towards from Jennifer Wellwood. It's called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. Each condition, each thing I I run from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. So there was a conversation in one of the groups today um, that reminded me of this poem, uh, when someone was talking about sadness. And I remember when I first started practicing, every time I'd meditate, I felt sad, which wasn't a great selling point for meditation. I thought, this stuff's making me sad. <laughs> and then I realized, oh no, that's just what's there. I just don't want to feel it. And it stayed around for years because I didn't want to feel it until I finally, at some, on some long retreat, I was able to surrender into the sadness and feel the, 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 the pain and the grief underneath the sadness. At some point, it moved on, and it wasn't the the my set point anymore, my baseline. But that comes from from leaning in, from turning towards. So, in a couple of things about working with the difficult, one is. Um, you know, when we're in, again this is partly coming from conversations in the groups, when we encounter difficult experiences in ourselves, especially in the body, especially emotional layers, especially if it's old from the past, the first thing we often encounter is resistance. We experience a resistance energetically, we experience it physically, sometimes there's a whole tension around our heart or our belly or wherever we're feeling this constellation of experience. And the, the mind, the, the thinking is, "Oh, I want to get through that resistance that the resistance is a bad thing. i got to break through it and, and heal and get to the source of the the, the problem and, and then I'll be resolved to be healed right? Anybody have that kind of idea? Maybe we think we, we make resistance into, the, into a problem an obstacle to be done away with, rather than actually realizing resistance is there for a reason. Now resistance has probably served a very useful purpose in our lives. May have outlived its purpose, but we want to be respectful of that, to meet it with kindness and care. And then we want to look at the attitude. As I've been speaking, how am I, when something comes up, like sadness or loss or fear or anger or jealousy, how am I holding that? Am I, am, I, am I trying to mindful it away? Am I trying to meditate it away? How often do we come into meditation hoping it will get rid of the difficult, painful stuff? Right. So we can go back to feeling or oh, this imaginary meditative state where we're floating in clouds. And can we infuse love into that attention? into that presence. This is from Hafiz, he says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut you more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few humans and even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need for the divine absolutely clear. Sometimes we're actually a little too quick to run away from that which is, seems initially hard to bear. And so we miss a huge uh, opportunity to to learn, to heal, to cultivate heartfulness. So anybody got any judging mind going on today? Anybody, a little critic happening? Snuck into your suitcase, snuck onto your meditation cushion, yeah, I was hearing about it in the groups today. I've spent the last year or so teaching about it since I wrote a book about it recently, and um and you know, I think it's something also to really be cognizant of as we ad- as as many of you are new to developing a meditation practice to be mindful that the critic doesn't become your meditation coach, sitting on your right shoulder saying, "Well, that was crap. That meditation was a waste of time. Your concentration's hopeless. You're not very mindful. Your compassion sucks. You may as well give up. Everybody else is really much better meditator than you are." Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's not usually quite as crass as that, but. Can be, but we want you know the. We want to be clear. We want to be able to make the distinction between when we're using you know. A mind that's clear or that's discerning or that's assessing in a very healthy way versus the the mind that's judging, and dismissing. The net effect of being judged by our critic is we feel shame, we feel bad, we f- we feel collapse, we feel contracted. Not a very healthy basis in which to to do anything, especially meditate. So just notice the tone of the way that you talk to yourself, the tone that you yank yourself back to the breath when you've been thinking. The evaluation at the end of the meditation. And it's important to understand with mindfulness practice, the way that we language mindfulness practice is generally in the receptive passive mode. We're watching, we're noticing, we're allowing, we're observing, we're feeling, we're sensing, we're opening to. This is mostly a passive activity in a a certain sense. And so often this, this association comes then that mindfulness means being passive. Mindfulness is actually responsive. It's attuned and allows an appropriate response to the moment. But first we have to actually know what's going on, to receive, to allow, to feel, to understand before we can actually take effective action. Otherwise we're usually just reacting rather than responding. And so there are many things in our practice, including the critic, where simply noticing isn't necessarily enough. So the practice of loving kindness is an example of an active antidote to the critic. So, you can add, for example, a loving kindness phrase after each judgment. Well, that was a pathetic meditation, and may I be happy. Yeah, and your walking sucks, and may I be peaceful. Yeah, look at you, you're a slob, you're messy, you're so untogether, and may you, I be free of you, <laughs> etc. In the same way that we uh take this practice into our life in our life in, and here in the, on this retreat meditation you know this this receptive mode of awareness of mindfulness is really appropriate in our lives. we obviously have to be much more engaged more active more responsive um, and so uh what mindfulness is doing is, is is allowing us to see more clearly, so the so the action, the, the 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 responsiveness comes from a place of wisdom, not delusion. And so many things in our lives require action, engagement. Whether it's parenting or confronting injustice or dealing with climate change, right? There's, we see clearly through awareness, and find more appropriate ways to act. I mean, and there's, there's more to say than we'll sit, talk about that on the last day, but I just want to also um, point to these different facets of, of awareness practice. There's a receptive mode that's infused with kindness, and there's the Cloudy clarity and the wisdom and the understanding that arises out of that, which is how we engage with life. This is a good uh, comment for your critic. It's a phrase, I never make the same mistake twice. I make it five or six times just to be sure. realize I'm running out of time here. I've about three different talks I'd like to share, but I don't want to send you all to sleep. So I'm going to wrap up in a few minutes. So I guess what I want to want to speak to is um without getting into a whole conceptual framework. You know, the, the underpinning of these teachings, uh, the Buddhist teachings on the Four Noble Truths, and, and really I've been laying out some of that ground. There's the truth of uh, that which is difficult to bear, right? whatever challenges you experience internally, externally. There's the reactivity towards that. And that's the second, the second truth or revelation that he spoke to was how we add to our suffering through our reactivity, through our contraction, through our demand, through our grasping, through our resistance. And why mindfulness practice is such a powerful, liberating tool is because as we learn to be with experience as it is, learn to um, see the pain and the the additional suffering that comes from from the way that we meet experience with reactivity, with hostility, with aversion, with judgment, with fear, with anxiety, with attachment, we be able to be able to start unhooking, able to start uh, finding spaciousness, able to find a different way of being with experience that's kinder, that's more easeful, that's more spacious. We find we have capacity to, to, to feel st- stability or ease or well-being, even if our inner and out experience is actually challenging. Body, mind, heart. I'm just gonna leave you with this poem from uh, Wendell Berry. And he's speaking to the support of nature gives to the angst that we feel in life. And he writes, When I wake in the night in fear of what my life and my children's lives may become, I go outside and lie down where the wood drake rests his quiet beauty on the water, and where the great heron feeds. I come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So what I love about this poem, being a, a nature lover that I am, is he's drawing on the perennial wisdom that we can glean through osmosis, through our contact with the natural world. I come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. What he's pointing to is wild things that are not adding this second arrow. Wild things are not adding additional unnecessary suffering to the elemental experience of life. And so the doorway to that is through awareness. This capacity that we're developing in a very simple, ordinary way moment to moment here actually is the doorway for you to finding peace and ease no matter what circumstances happening to find a sense of inner ballast that's possible and available in any moment for any of us any time but it does require that we that we Practice, and when I say practice, I mean we cultivate this quality so it's accessible. In the same way that, you know, the Michael Jordans of this world, who are phenomenal athletes, practice, practice, practice the great musicians that we love, practice. So when they come to play, it's effortless. In the same way that we are, you know, well, you may be, or you may aspire to become a meditation athlete, right? where you're refining your skill, the art of living, the art of being awake and aware and a loving human being. And some of us are like that naturally, and then some of us have to do a little more work, <laughs> a little more training. What we're doing here is training. Sometimes feels like boot camp, but it's training but it's training in service of the well-being of yourself, the well-being of others, the well-being of the world. So thank you for your practice. So let's just sit quietly for a few minutes. Just noticing how you're meeting this moment. Can you meet whatever's here, whether it's beautiful or challenging, the kind presence? So thank you for your attention, and we'll have some walking meditation now. We'll come back for our closing sit at 8.45. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.